And God, we praise you because you are that someone. And this morning we have gathered at this place and we have looked deep into the well and we have seen you looking back with your loving eyes. Eyes that strengthen us. You, that someone, the God who is loving enough and caring enough to take care of those big cats that are afraid and sometimes big people that are afraid. Thank you for meeting us this morning, feeding us at your table. And now that we have looked into the well and received from your table, challenge us with your word. May your story become our story. Thank you for being that someone. Amen. As a congregation, you never fail to surprise me. And I've had some recent conversations with some of you that have been surprising, including some conversations this week. You surprised me with the news that you have already completed your Christmas shopping. And in fact, some of you already have your Christmas cards written out, stamped, ready to go. Some of you actually bought your decorations at the after Christmas sales last year. Those of you who do those sort of things, I stand in awe of you. (laughs) I'm one of those persons who two days before Christmas Eve will be on the internet doing online shopping and keeping UPS in business. (laughs) Preparation. Some of you are really great at it. But the question I ask for all of us today is, are we spiritually prepared for the power of this upcoming season? Have we put as much attention into challenging our spiritual lives for this holy season that's coming? My goal during the month of November is to offer a spiritual toolkit, a way of approaching this season that will be about growth and transformation. All that involves is beginning to do it differently. To find at least one or two ways to do the holidays different this year in a way that will inspire that growth and change. So this very first Sunday, the first tool is risky change. Taking the risk to do it differently. Now the wonderful thing about the scriptures are is that they are full of people who have taken a risky change. I think of the disciples putting down their nets, following Jesus, even though they don't know for sure who he is. In the Hebrew scriptures, we have the wonderful story of David, who with five stones takes on Goliath, the big giant, and brings him down. Talk about limited resources. Five stones, down comes the giant. What I love about today's scripture is that it is also a story of risky change. The story of Ruth and Naomi is one of my favorite Hebrew scripture stories. It's a story that's oftentimes used at holy unions because it speaks of the powerful love between two women. But as I've looked at this story, I see that it's not just a powerful story of love. It is an amazing story of risk-taking. The story actually begins in the town of Bethlehem. A famine has hit that town. The people in that town are beginning to starve. 
Naomi and her family have to decide whether or not they'll take the risk to go somewhere else or stay where they're familiar. The upside, they could go to Moab, which is known for being a productive land, or they could stay where they are. They know if they go to the land of Moab, they will be outsiders. They also know that when they get there, a famine could hit that place. They may be worse off than they were if they just stayed. But that family takes the risk to claim the promise that they believe is theirs if they will simply go. So they go to the land of Moab. Seems like a good decision, except Naomi's husband dies. And suddenly she finds herself a single mother in a culture that's not real supportive of single mothers. She goes ahead and raises her sons. She does not remarry. Both of her sons end up marrying Moabite women. Now here's another risk. Intermarriage was not a real popular thing at that time. In fact, in Manny's eyes, it was considered a crime. It made those individuals impure. So another risk comes into the mix. They become a non-traditional family living in Moab, a land earlier unknown to them. This plot continues to thicken as both of Naomi's sons die. Now what happens? We have three women trying to make a living, again in a culture that is not supportive of women. We have Naomi, we have Ruth, and we have Orpah, trying to make their way in a scary world. At this point, Naomi feels that the call upon her life is to go back to Bethlehem, to go back to her people. At that point, the three of them set out on this frightening, risky journey of change. Partway there, it occurs to Naomi that maybe her risk should not be the risk of her daughters-in-laws. She thinks that they would probably be better received and have a better life if they stayed in Moab, if they remarried there. She realized that when they got to Bethlehem, she would be accepted, but her daughters-in-law would not. So she said to them, go back to the land of your mothers. Go back to the safe place. Go back to your comfort zone. Orpah goes back. But Ruth says to Naomi that famous, famous statement. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. It sounds like a wonderful love commitment, but it's really a faith commitment. What she's saying is, I am not afraid to go with you into the unknown. Whatever your future is, my future is. I am not afraid of your people. I will not step back with fear of discrimination. Even though I will be an outsider, I will go with you and face whatever we need to face together. She went, knowing that life would not be easy for her in Bethlehem. 
I have found myself incredibly challenged by the story of Ruth. The way that she boldly claimed an unknown future. The way she took that risk. A couple of points really stand out to me and one of them is she took the risky change to face an unknown future. Maybe this Christmas season could be a time where we look at the bigger picture where we look at what God might hold for us if we would simply take the risk to look beyond what we've always known. Maybe the greatest gift we could give ourselves is to say to God, I want to vision into your future because I know your vision is bigger than my vision. God, I've been afraid to ask you what your vision might be before because I thought it might challenge me too much. But this Christmas season, go ahead, show me the vision you have for me in 2007 and I'll take it. God, reveal yourself to me and I will go ahead and do what you're calling me to do. That's what Ruth did. She had been raised to believe certain things. For centuries, she'd been raised to believe certain things. But she boldly said, your God will be my God. I will give up my family. I will give up what I've known. I will go with you. She took the risky change to put her future on the line. And that's a call before each one of us to take that risky change, to open ourselves to what God might hold. Here's some words from Thomas Merton who talks about that risky change. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire and I know that if I do this you will lead me to the right road though I may know nothing about it therefore I will trust you always I will not fear for you are ever with me mm. Ruth's story it's our story it's going ahead and taking that next step even though we may not know where that next step is leading us. I know in a congregation this size, there are some of you today that are at that point of decision in your life, whether to go this way or this way. Trust the God who will lead you. It's the same God who led Ruth and Naomi. I'm struck at how she put her future on the line, took that risky change. The second thing that really, really strikes me in this passage is the way that she took the risk to look inside herself, discover her deepest values, and then live them. Again, it goes back to that key statement. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. She put everything on the line. Her deepest value was the sacredness of the relationship that she had with Naomi. 
a relationship that was more sacred than the one that she had with her birth family. A value of a love that went deeper than any love she'd ever known. A love that made her fearless and faithful. The other value that she lived was that value of moving beyond her fear and trusting the God who had led Naomi all the way from Bethlehem to Moab back to Bethlehem. Values of commitment, values of trust, values of fearlessness. They guided her life. She stepped out. God is calling us to live our deepest values and amazingly enough, sometimes it's the holy seasons where living our values becomes more difficult. We may have the value of discovering the sacred and yet the holiday season gets so busy that we oftentimes postpone scripture reading until we make our New Year resolution. We get so busy running from party to party that we miss the deeper relationships that are right in front of us. What if we decided this year to do the holidays differently, to make them really about our deepest values? There are some ways right here that we can support that. One thing you might think about going into this new season to do differently is to make a commitment to do something every week that would make a difference in the community. Volunteering, or perhaps being more involved here. We'd love to have you sing in our sanctuary choir, our gospel ensemble, the praise chorus. We have lots of musical opportunities. Don't make resurrection just about Sundays. Make it part of the week. Or commit yourself to attending the spiritual uplift on Wednesday or the resurrection connection that I'm teaching on Thursday nights. A chance to go deeper. A chance to have those values fully integrated into who we are. God has something powerful for us this season. And it's not something you can just wrap up in a package or put a bow on. It is living that deepest, sacred, powerful, transformative value. To find in ourselves what makes life worth living is risky business. For it means that once we know, we must seek it. It also means that without it, life would be valueless. Some people find their most valued selves despite the risk, although the majority seem to be people who will settle into the safe expectations of life as they've always known it. The majority stay dull to real life and real meaning. But a few brave souls, however they do look within, and are so moved by what they find that they sacrifice. And from then on, whatever is necessary, they bring that into self and into being. So that's the question before us. Will we be a part of the majority that just goes along with all the noise and all the activity, living on the surface? Or will we become that minority, like Ruth and Naomi, who took the chance to live life differently, to take a stand against all that would pull them away from God? Will we do Christmas differently by risking our future and by looking into our deepest values and then living them faithfully. It's hard to do that. 
It's hard to be a part of a minority that decides to go against the culture, to go against all that pulls us in different direction. And sometimes we might feel like that lone person taking that kind of a stand. There's a wonderful person who believed very much in the power of nature. His name was Lauren Eisler, and he's written some wonderful books about how God is oftentimes revealed in the environment around us. One of his journeys took him to a small tourist town along a coast. And every morning he would get up to walk on the beach and he found his values challenged because every morning there would be people from that town who would go to the beach and pick up the starfish to turn them into souvenirs at the local tourist shops. It was legal. He couldn't do a lot about it. But he saw it as an example of how the world so often says no to life. And it bothered him deeply. And a few nights he couldn't even sleep because he'd be thinking of all those starfish that would lose their lives to become souvenirs. And one morning he couldn't sleep, so he got up early. He got to the beach before anyone else was there, except for one solitary person. And he noticed that that person was doing something he'd never seen before. That person was going along and picking up the starfish and then throwing them back out into the ocean. Act of mercy. He thought maybe it was just a one-time deal, but the next morning he got up early, and there that solitary person was, taking those starfish and throwing them back out into the ocean. Even in bad weather, this solitary figure would go to the beach and save all the starfish that he could. Lauren Isley began to call that solitary figure the star thrower. And it reminded him that no matter how big the obstacle may seem, we are called to continue to pick up those stars and throw them into the world and say yes to life. That again is what Ruth and Naomi did. Their future seemed overwhelming. Their lives seemed overwhelming. But they took the pieces they knew they could get their hands around and they threw them out to God and said, God of the stars, create my future in your name. One little detail about the story I didn't tell you. When they got to Bethlehem, Ruth became the mother of Obed, who became the father of Jesse, who became the father of King David, who became one of the ancestors of Jesus. In other words, the risk that Naomi and Ruth took was a risk for us. They couldn't have known that. Yet they threw their stars, they took their risk, they let God create their future, and now God is creating our future. What kind of amazing God is that? Amen and amen.